Welcome to the ultimate. The world's greatest soccer player. No, not Messi, not Ronaldo, not Pelé. His name was Matthias Schindelar. It was nearly 100 years ago when he died suddenly and mysteriously. My name is David James Roberts, and this is his story. The place, Vienna, Austria. The time, April 3rd, 1938. Two national teams are facing off, the Germans and the Austrians. This was supposed to be the last time the Austrian team took the pitch, and both teams would then combine and play as one under the swastika. A few weeks earlier, Adolf Hitler's Germany conquered his native Austria. It was called the Anschluss, or reunification. This match, organized by Nazi officials, was supposed to be a celebration, and it was supposed to end in a tie. And according to legend, Austria's best player, Matthias Schindler, did not want to play in the match, but also because of his supposed objections to national socialism. Throughout the first half of the game, in front of a sellout crowd, Matthias had many chances to score. Each time he could have put it in the back of the net, the ball hit the post, or was just wide, or went straight into the arms of the goalkeeper. Those who saw the game said later it was like he was teasing the German defense. Then, in the second half, Matthias was unleashed. In the 70th minute, he scored the goal of goals. The Nazi officials in attendance stared on in shock. The crowd erupted in cheers, boisterous and unrestrained delight as they watched their sporting hero score such a goal. A few minutes later, he passed the ball to his teammate, Carl Sesta, who scored the game's second goal. This time, Matthias celebrated like he saw God himself, as the crowd chanted, Osterreich, Osterreich, over and over again. He ran to the center circle, with one arm outstretched, the other curved in front of him. He began to dance a waltz, around and around, as if all of Austria were his dance partner, in the center of the field where all the fans could see him. As the Nazi officials stared on with dismay and disbelief, the final score, Austria 2. Germany, zero. The next day, some of the Austrian papers ran the headline, Our Team Won. After the so-called Anschluss match, Matthias played in a handful of soccer games to earn some money. But his main focus, though, was on his new cafe. In the heart of the Viennese neighborhood of Favretin, he opened Café Schindelar. It was a cafe that he purchased from a Jewish acquaintance. Leopold Drill, but the Nazi officials were suspicious of Schindelar, and the Gestapo began watching him and his customers, many of whom were Jewish. A few months later, after a night out of playing cards with his friends, he went to his fiancée's apartment. The next day, they were found dead. Her apartment was filled with the deadly gas, carbon monoxide. 
It was about six years ago when I first discovered the story of Matthias Schindelar. It was one of those all-familiar nights for new parents. My first daughter was about seven weeks old. It was the middle of the night. She didn't want to lie down, so I was holding her in a rocking chair. Her cheek was resting on my shoulder, and I was scouring the internet on my phone, trying to stay awake. That's when I came across his story. The hairs on the back of my neck literally stood up. I was so inspired by his story, I ended up writing a novel about it entitled The Paperman. It was published in 2019 by Blue Forge Press, and now I want to tell you the true story. So I traveled halfway across the world to Vienna, Austria to speak with other historians and journalists who know the story well. This was my first trip to Vienna, Austria, and uh, obviously I was excited. I timed my trip perfectly too. You see, Austria had a chance to get to the World Cup, the greatest stage for international soccer. The Austrian men's team had not been to a World Cup since France 98, where they came in third in their group behind Italy and Chile. But there was a chance that they could return to the tournament in Qatar. All the Austrians had to do was defeat Gareth Bale and the rest of the Welsh team in a playoff. They were playing away in Cardiff, in front of a very boisterous crowd, eager to see their team return to the World Cup. Wales has not qualified since the 1958 tournament, where they were eliminated after facing Pelé and Brazil in the quarterfinals. From the outset, it was clear which team wanted the victory more. I was meeting Mario Sonberger, a journalist and soccer fanatic, at an Irish pub in Vienna called the Golden Harp. Needless to say, the Austrians were basically humiliated. Their coach resigned soon after the match. The flow has just stopped. That's a problem uh, which happens quite, quite often in the Frankfurter. And that's what the people, or the experts, um, or the public, or quite, actually everyone criticizes about him. But there was a time when the Austrian national team weren't the underdogs. Matthias Schindelar was their captain. And they were known as the Wunder team. And Austria was one of the most formidable forces in international soccer. It really, from again, when you read the, the, the accounts of those who watched him play, we, we do have a few newsreels, you know, photographs of, of, of him playing. Again, there, there are matches where the, the Austrian Wonder Team goes to England, supposedly, you know, the, the world's best, uh, you know, the inventors of the game, and they are impressed, again, by this free-flowing football. Um, it's not the regimented football that the Germans had played or even the English had played, but uh, it was a free-flowing football, um, really gave the manifestation or maybe a better way to say that is it, it gave the full expression of, of the phrase we use now, beautiful game. Um, players changing position, technical mastery, just brilliance on the ball. Uh, Sindelar, of course, was a representation of that, even again, well into his 30s, where, again, this is an, an era where uh, the thuggish defender, again, could still have their way, right? So that the beautiful player could certainly be cut down many times and, 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 and not really have to have the benefit then, of course, of the, the, the opposing team, you know, being booked for that sort of thing. But um, even again in this era where players, uh, again, are playing down the wing, um, um, and again, a, in a fierce attacking formation where you might have five or six uh, attackers, 
Um, so again, there was this, not recklessness, but just the, the, the joy of, of creative football being played again in the other team's end, basically in front of their goal. You just heard from historian and professor Kevin Simpson, who wrote an entire chapter about Schindler's impact on Austrian and German soccer in his book, Soccer Under the Swastika. Well, his nip nickname was the paper man. Um, and I think the, the colloquialism is, is more closely to the, to the wafer man, very slight and thin player. Again, even when you see pictures of him in this era, um, there's not a lot to him, but apparently he was very quick and light on his feet. He could, he could weave between defenses with, with a delicacy, basically. For, for Schindler, uh, it, it's clear, even again, like I said, the spare newsreel footage that we have, um, this is again a player who had pace, uh, who had a supreme touch on the ball. And again, he could weave between players, uh, give and goes, right, that sort of play. So uh, again, it was something that was certainly celebrated. Matthias Schindler was born in the blue-collar town of Kozlov, which is in the modern-day Czech Republic. Matthias showed talent for soccer at a young age. Schindler made his professional debut in 1922 for Hertha Vienna. After two years, he moved to the team FK Austria Vienna, where he played until he retired in 1938. Just discovered a quote here that I, I included in my book originally from one of these coffeehouse mainstays, one of the authors of the Vienna scene again in the 1930s. Uh, they described Schindler as a player endowed with such unbelievable wealth of variations and ideas that one could never really be sure which manner of play was to be expected. He had no system to say nothing of a set pattern. He just had genius. Again, this makes sense when you think about um, how innovative football was in Middle Europe and Central Europe in this time. Again, they're breaking away from those old structures um, and then they play again with, with a verve, with an excitement, with a joy, which we often attribute nowadays to maybe a Brazilian player, right? Unpredictability, uh, but again, supreme technical talent. That's, that's one thing that even with those heavy balls and those, you know, those impossibly thick leather boots that they could still play in this creative, delicate way is, is really a marvel. Schindler led FK Austria Vienna to two international titles, the Dr. Jero Cup, which was the forerunner of the modern-day Champions League. He led the Austrian national team to a third-place finish in the second edition of the World Cup, which was probably fixed by Italian dictator Benito Mussolini. He earned the nickname the Paper Man because of his thin frame. Sports writers described his running style as graceful and that it was like watching paper float in the wind. At the height of his game, he was offered 40,000 pounds to play for Manchester United, about $5 million today. It would have been a record at that time if he had accepted the transfer. But age and time finally caught up with him. At the age of 35, he hung up his boots and decided to open a coffee house, Café Schindler, and it quickly became a hotspot for Vienna's elite. But by this point in the story, the entire political scene in Austria took a complete turn. That's because by the time Schindler retired, Austria ceased to be and became a province of Hitler's Third Reich. On my trip to Austria, I spoke with another historian, Georg Spitaler. He was such a popular figure and the, the new uh, Nazi sports administration, they tried to, to win him over as a testimonial for a lot of things. I mean, he was like, or had to be part of the, the Anschluss propaganda in April 1938 with this whole Anschluss game. I mean, there are so many myths about the game, but basically this was a propaganda match um, 
promoting uh, the Angelus uh, plebiscite. According to legend, Matthias did not want to play in the match, not only because the game was supposed to end in a predetermined tie, but also because of his supposed objections to National Socialism. In my novel, The Paper Man, I wrote about an imagined conversation Matthias could have had with Michael Schwartz, who was president of FK Austria Vienna until the Nazis ousted him for being a Jew. I wrote, Do you know why soccer matters, Michael asked. Matthias gently shook his head. People can explain to anyone different offensive or defensive tactics the different formations. They can explain the offside rule in simple terms. They can make a list for anyone off the top of their heads of statistics of how you did in the last match or of the match before that. They have memorized how well you did against this team or that team. They know all these things because you, Cindy, you and your team, you represent them in a way their government never will. Do you know why? Michael tapped his fist into his own chest over and over. He looked into Matthias's eyes deeply and intently. Because you make the people feel. Everyone who sees you play, they work all day. Work all day for what? To earn a paycheck? To pay someone else so they can sleep in a house? That's it. But they come here so they can live. You make them feel alive. You give them something to live for. The mayor, the chancellor, the Fuhrer. All they represent is what people read in the newspapers. Do they give anyone a reason to get out of bed in the morning? No. You, you do. Michael stretched out his arm and pointed at the stadium. Inside the walls of this building, there's a green rectangle. And inside that rectangle, the people see their true representatives. Michael took his hand and pressed his finger into Matthias's chest. You wear their team's crest over your heart, Matthias. You mean more to them than their individual lives. You represent to them a community of men bound by passion, bound by a shared sense of fraternity, breathing life into their souls. Michael let out a deep sigh through his nose and frowned. He nodded gently and softly patted Matthias's shoulder. I should be getting home, my friend. I hope we will see each other again. Michael started to walk away. Herr Doctor, Matthias said. Michael stopped and turned around to look at the football star he helped create. They may say that you can never be a part of this organization again, Matthias said. But you will always be a part of it. You will always be my friend. Coming up in Episode 2 of The Ultimate more details of the Anschluss match, and some theories about how Matthias Schindler actually died. The Ultimate, the life, death, and legacy of Matthias Schindler is written, edited, and produced by me, David James Roberts. It wouldn't be possible without the wonderful support of my wonderful wife, Christina Roberts. 
Special thanks to Professor Kevin Simpson, Mario Sonnenberger, Clemens Zavarowski, Georg Spitaler, the good people at FK Austria Vienna, and so many other people I do not have time to mention here. Please remember, if you like this podcast, to leave me a review and share it on your preferred social media platforms. Your help really goes a long way. We'll see you next time. The Ultimate, the life, death, and legacy of Matthias Schindelar. Powered by ACAST.